It's time for another episode of the Global Meditation Podcast. This weekly show features explorations of spiritual and paranormal topics with a focus on bridging the physical and metaphysical, bringing deeper meaning to our individual and collective lives. And now, here are your hosts, Darby and Christine Miller. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a detour compared to what we usually cover uh, in the podcast. We've been studying the law of one material, and I think we're on, we did session seven last time, and we're going to take a little pause with the law of one material and dive into a different book, which I think it'll probably take us a couple of sessions to uh, complete And this book is by someone named Ruby Nelson, and it's called The Door of Everything. It was published in 1963. It has 12 chapters and 180 pages. Our goal today, I believe, is to try to get through chapters one through six, which is part one of the book. And then uh, next session, we'll hopefully do chapter or uh, part two. So, Christine, I... uh, as you know, I tried to find information about Ruby Nelson, and I, I couldn't find anything. I'm almost tempted to reach out to the publisher. So we purchased this book through Amazon on our Kindle, and the about the author section of Amazon says, motivated by the strong desire to share what she had learned from her studies of mystic philosophy, Ruby Nelson began writing The Door of Everything as the means to help herself find enlightenment. Ever since the book was published, it has been inspiring, dedicated readers seeking the same positive results. So I first ran across this book in the process of researching a meditation technique that I've recently become involved in. And my understanding of this meditation technique is that it's built from a, a an earlier technique, which I believe really thrived in the 80s or 90s, somewhere around there. And in the process of researching this meditation technique, um, I came upon this book, which, as far as I can see, it appears to have possibly inspired this meditation technique. Um, Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure, but there seems to be a lot of similarities, both in the language and in some of the content. Um, the meditation technique is, in case you're interested, is called um, the Ascension uh, Attitudes, I believe it's called, or Ascension. That's the older version. And the version I'm studying is called Ethereum Ascension, which is based upon the earlier Ascension meditation technique. But there's been some additions and some alterations to suit this particular uh, school of school of thought. Is the mirror gazing part of that? The mirror gazing I'm doing is through the same organization, but it is not part of this uh, ascension meditation. Oh, good, because I'd really like <clears> to try <throat> the ascension meditation, but I don't. I don't need to. You don't <laughs> want to stare in a mirror for an hour. No, day? I'm good there. <laughs> My brain isn't at that level of quietness or whatever it takes to do that. <laughs> no. We should probably let the the listeners know. So. I've been studying with a a group that has a few 
foundational practices. And one of the practices is, is this ascension meditation. And the other is uh, mirror gazing, which involves um, well, it's a certain practice I won't get into, but it's, it's all designed to uh, refine consciousness, raise, raise energy, refine energy, uh, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of material here. I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all of it today, all of chapters one through six. Um, do you, was there something you wanted to start out with or do you want me to dive into it? No, I would like to start out by saying, um, when I started reading this, I, my very first question after about one sentence was, is this channeled material? She writes it as if she is God speaking to us. And yes, I do think it is specifically God because she's separately mentions Jesus and the Holy Spirit as three, you know, three kind of separate, but same entities. So, um, I mean, it's incredibly Bible based, you know, as someone who has read through most of the Old Testament and the New Testament multiple, multiple, multiple times. <laughs> this is all very, very, this works with my Jesus filter. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I wasn't sure because it sounded like she was channeling it yeah i, I thought the same exact thing when i read it i was like is this channel material mm -hmm. yeah and we don't have enough background for i mean from this description it just makes it sound like it's stuff that she learned which yes it could be that too but i also think it's kind of gutsy to talk like you're <laughs> channeling what god wants to say <laughs> although i guess we all we all can do that if it's from a place of love and you know i think that's the point of this book <laughs> we all have that connection and possibility of a relationship like that with god i read it almost almost like an instruction manual for how to to know god basically that's what the bible's supposed to be the new testament especially <laughs> maybe Sorry. this is like a, a cliff notes version it really is. I mean, it's funny to me because, you know, I know you haven't really read the Bible. It was funny when I was reading this and thinking about you reading it. It was like um, this. This is what I've, you know, grown up knowing and thinking and reaching towards and getting really good at in some phases of my life and floating away a little at others. <laughs> Well, she, she starts off by saying that it is narrated by the guiding voice of Father Consciousness at the center of your soul. There you go. And Thanks uh, for clearing that <clears throat> up, Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> is she no longer alive? I believe I did see, at least the Ruby Nelson that I looked up, she did pass away. Um but again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure because I had trouble finding any background on her. But I found a Ruby Nelson obituary, too. And I'm like, and did you see the, the Ruby Nelson PhD? No. That woman? Well, I thought she was a good possible candidate because she she's also into, like, enlightenment and those things. But I don't think it's her. Mm -hmm. Unless she became a PhD after writing this book. But no, the other woman only had, like, one book listed under her and it wasn't this one right 
So I don't know. I, I guess maybe the way we should go through this is I've highlighted sections, and as always, I've written a bunch of notes. So I'll go through my highlights, kind of go through the cliff notes, and then you you uh, pop in when you've got something you want to share as well. I've got my highlights too. Yeah. So I'll I'll give a synopsis of this first chapter, and then want to in. I'll share any quotes that I highlighted and then why don't you, uh, share what you made notes of. So the Cliff Notes version for me of this first chapter was that the eternal light of, of God is in all things and it's also within as well. So it's basically within and without, which of course we've probably all heard, but, uh, they really nail that point home. Um, they say, I am the light, or, or Ruby writes, I am the light within you. I am also the light of the world and the power thereof by which it was made. And then she gets right into the nitty gritty and she says that the paraphrasing that the creator is within. And if we purposely uh, draw on this, what she calls a well of living waters or a reservoir of life force, that this, um, this life force or this living water will multiply and increase. And eventually what will happen is we will be transformed into, as she says, a vessel unceasingly running over with holy radiance. So that's the first point is that the eternal light is within. And if we focus on it, it will multiply until our very physical body is transformed. And again, this totally lines up with this meditation technique that I'm studying, which as soon as I started reading this, I was like, whoa, there's some real uh, correspondence here. And then uh, looking through my notes further, she dives into the concept of mind and that specifically she, she calls attention to um, the concept of mind. And he, she says that the creator lives within mind in the form of mind. And that nine-tenths of this mind that she's referring to is below conscious awareness. And there is a quote here I think we both highlighted. I'm going to read this. It says, like an iceberg on the sea, nine-tenths of which is out of sight, I live within you in the form of mind, with nine-tenths of me being submerged beneath your awareness. The expanse of an iceberg underwater is just as real as the tip extending above the surface and the expanse of mind submerged below your conscious awareness is just as real as the surface mind with which you do your, your thinking. Yeah. A lot of chapter one is about the difference between the submerged mind and the surface mind and trying to get in touch with the submerged mind, which is the one that's much more in touch with God. Yeah. She refers to the submerged mind as like a sunken treasure chest, sunken treasure chest, and that we can basically integrate the submerged mind with what she calls our surface mind or our conscious mind. And when we integrate these two, um, we, we take on the holy nature of the submerged mind, as she says it. Well, and it said, uh, this is a cool quote, too. This submerged mind is your center of divine wisdom, an area of mind that does not think in the normal sense of the word it knows. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
speaks oh, with a different oh, language. Wait, this is the important part too. Mm-hmm. When you've learned to elevate the submerged mind and integrate it with your surface consciousness, your entire being will take on its holy nature. And you will come to find that, as Jesus taught, it is indeed not robbery to be equal with God. Yeah. So she she mentions this concept of the the surface mind and submerged mind. And then she goes further and she says that the, the submerged mind extends to an area of feeling, which is our heart. And, of course, the heart's a, she says, it's a reservoir of love, which is immeasurable. And she also says the heart's location of hope, dreams, and high aspirations. But um, she says the heart and mind work together to form a powerful force and that our thoughts combined with our feelings cause things to be brought, brought about. So this is a, a concept that we, we've probably all read before in different places, like The Secret, when that came out. Yeah, it's the all idea. the law of attraction, yeah. which is what the entire New Testament is about. It is? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> every mm, every time you crap on the secret, I'm like, Darby, it's literally like they literally pull from the New Testament and the secret and all of the other writings that are like before, during, and after. When do As- I crap on the secret? Oh, you said... <laughs> Every time I bring it up, you're like, oh, the secret is kind of like the the super um, watered down version of this or that or whatever. No, it compiles all of the worldly wisdom that's been around for eternity. Hmm. It's not a secret. It's right in front of people, but they don't pay attention. You better edit that so I don't sound like an evil wench. And like, <laughs> okay, honey, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we don't have video. People would have seen this. <laughs> but seriously, I keep telling you because we're always talking about, you know, the law of attraction and the secret and everything else. And I'm like, the entire New Testament is like the secret. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the secret at face value. It's just not. It's just kind of like the appetizer for me. I I, I like. Uh... Well, yeah, but I mean, it's the basics. It has everything you need in it. Just like the New Testament does. And just like this book does. They're all connected. I mean, it says the more intense the feeling, the greater is its active force. You're a magnet in the universe. Amen. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you. Mm. We're on the same team. Mm. <laughs> so she says then that these, this thought and feeling power we have has been misused. And it's basically the cause of the troubles that plague the world. Well, and I like that. I like, I do like the take that she has on a couple of different things. And that's one of them. Like, instead of thinking that there's, I mean, I do believe in like good and bad energy and vibrations and all that stuff. But it does make sense that it's just us misusing our thoughts and feelings, not knowing what kind of forces that sets into motion. It's just, I feel like it's the same way, but a slightly different way of looking at it that makes more sense to me and makes me feel a little bit better. There's another thing that she says later, too, that's uh, that really hit me hard. I hope to God I highlighted it. Yeah. Oh, here's another direct quote from the Bible. Okay, we'll get there. Sorry, I was a couple pages ahead. Okay, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this misused thought and feeling, she says... 
uh, creates a superimposed web of destructive forces, and she calls this a sub-creation of the surface mind. So it's the idea that the surface mind, which is disconnected from the submerged mind and therefore disconnected from the creator, still has the power to create. And since it's disconnected from the creator, it creates uh, a superimposed web of destructive forces. Yeah, I like the sinister spider web line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not good, but... And this this superimposed web of destructive forces, or what she calls a sub-creation, is the world of appearances. It's not actually godly reality. Uh, and there's actually a quote uh, involving Jesus with this word appearances. Mm -hmm. Jesus called the web of sub-creation appearances, knowing that it lacked the foundation in reality, he taught the people of the world not to judge by appearances. He knew the power of the subcreation was none other than the power which surface minds were giving it by belief in negative conditions and fear of destructive forces. And um, she says, He who is within you is stronger than any power without. Yeah, like, that's right out of the Bible. Okay. He who is within you, or, yeah, he who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. And then she says the creative power of thought and feeling originated in the submerged mind is 10,000 times as great as the creative power of thought and feeling originating in the surface mind. And then for this reason, I'm still reading here for this reason, the destructive force is running rampant and the subcreation can be overcome by anyone who learns the truth of how to integrate the surface mind with the Holy Father consciousness. And uh, I guess I got I, in my notes here, I guess I got this from chapter one. I, I write that there's one mind, but it has many rates of vibration or levels of consciousness. Oh, yeah, this is near the end of the chapter. So there's one mind, but it has many rates of vibration or levels of consciousness. But at the highest level, there's a door, which I guess is. Why her door? Why her books named the door to everything? Mm, the door of everything. Of everything. It's even better. Right. And going through it, through this door, frees us from the influences of subcreation. So when I read this door, I, I'm kind of thinking she's actually talking about like a physical structure within us, like maybe the whole pineal gland, third eye kind of thing. You know, like so many traditions, they seem to be about like opening that up, like Kundalini or the method I'm studying. They they use a similar kind of language where you're opening up this this area of seeing or inner sight. And um, I wonder or, if that's also what she's talking about. Or in my world growing up, it was opening up your heart to Jesus and asking him to help you, you know, live your life and be closer to God and all that. Huh. That's a, a door. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like exactly what, she, what she's talking about. I wasn't brought up with any of that, that kind of concept. I know, so I'm for so me, sorry. this is like, oh, this is a great new uh, material. Or... <laughs> I was five when I asked Jesus to be with me. <laughs> what was that like? Did I ever tell you that story? No. So, um,. My grandmother and Aunt Libby used to have a very tumultuous relationship. And at one point, they were having a, a pretty big fight. Now, I was only five, so keep in mind, my mother was 18 when she had me. And, 
mom was the oldest of her sisters. Anyway, Aunt Libby was probably like late teens, I guess, when she and Grandma Pat had this pretty big blowout fight. And my Aunt Leslie <laughs> was there and she, I think, I think she did try to say, okay, let's everybody, you know, calm down and pray and all that stuff. But at some point, me and Libby and Leslie all went out to get ice cream and kind of let the situation mellow. And I don't remember if I asked or if, you know, how the conversation went, but I think I asked about, you know, what, what praying was or what she had been talking about. And she told me, and so we had a little prayer where I specifically asked Jesus to come into my heart and to, you know, be with me. I mean, I was only five, but I felt the difference. I knew it was major. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember that day, you know, Mm -hmm. it was, (laughs) it was a big thing. You've never told me that story before. Yeah. Little five-year-old me, big fight between aunt and grandmother. And (laughs) yeah, and it's weird because I'm trying to think of where, oh, we must have not been living there yet because that was Grandma Pat's house, which was like diagonally across the street from the Baptist church that I eventually ended up going to, you know, my whole growing up time. Well, until it turned into a scary cult. Um (laughs) Yeah, this uh, this preacher came in who was, he's one of those, it's even written in the Bible, like that recent converts shouldn't become preachers because they're too um, black and white with everything. They haven't had time to like really live with it and walk with it and build compassion. And, you know, so he was basically like a reformed druggie. And so like super... Uh, super weird. He ended up actually moving the whole church over to this like cement block building across the street that he had built with no windows and no, like it was, yeah, all the, all the old timey people that had like been in that church forever left. And yeah, that happened, I guess, more when I was in high school. But other than that, that was the church I went to. Sorry. (laughs) Nobody needs to hear about the cement black cult with no windows. I don't hear more. He was a weird, he was weird. All right. Well, that, those are my cliff notes for chapter one. Do you have anything else for chapter one you want to get into before we go to chapter two? I don't think so. I didn't have a whole lot, um, highlighted. You had a lot already highlighted. So yeah, I'm finding that this, oh, sorry. I have the Kindle open with the highlights and I have my notes open and I'm having trouble really, um, Connecting where they are together. Yeah, so I'll rely on you to uh, read any quotes that are in my notes that you want to share. Well, I did want to go back just one page to point out, you kind of touched on it, but the creative power of thought and feeling originating in the submerged mind is 10,000 times as great as the creative power of thought and feeling originating in the surface mind. So that that kind of... um, correlates with other places where it says like that a a positive thought is tens of thousands of times stronger than a negative thought. So if you're worried that you feel like you're having more negative thoughts, you know, until you train your brain to be a little more positive, it's okay. Because those, uh, those positive thoughts are way better. It requires a training or an actual intention to have more positive thoughts. Sure did for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. It's startling when you realize you're, (laughs) when you really start listening to your thoughts, it's like, damn, that was like, well, in my case, it was more just like constantly putting myself down Mm -hmm. or reliving negative moments or reliving times that I was put down. (laughs) Yeah. My first introduction to that concept was in college with that sociology course uh, at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania there was a sociology professor who his textbooks were, or one or two of the textbooks were Wayne Dyer's Euronia Zones yeah. and another one called Life 101. And that was the first time I ran across that concept that we actually had a choice about how we think. And which is why I bought our kids both of those books several times. Neither of, none no of whom read have it. read them. <laughs> well, it's funny too, because I've read so many Wayne Dyer books and never read Erroneous Stones. I know that's like one of his most famous, but he's also quoted a million times in The Secret. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should cover your, the Erroneous, your Erroneous Zones and the other one's called Life 101. Cover mm-hmm. that one too. That'd be a blast. I should read. I bet that one is on Audible because I've got a bunch of other Wayne Dyer books on Audible. Yeah. And then we have a couple of copies around here somewhere. So, oops. They they go on the kids' bookshelf Ah! and then uh, I never see them again. Well, you know, someday they'll. So chapter one was called uh, Father Consciousness, I think. Mm -hmm. And chapter two is called The Subcreation. Oh, oh. This has my favorite part of this book. <laughs> you don't understand like how freeing this concept is to me. What? Carry on, kind sir. It's at the bottom of you see my don't look ahead to my my highlighting. We'll get there. I'm not gonna look at the highlight. I'm gonna look at my notes. You Okay. <laughs> so so in chapter two, she continues to talk about the the sub creation of the surface mind. And she makes a note that while it isn't ultimate reality it is real on a certain level and because of that it's obviously full of painful experiences like war and illness and poverty and all those things that we deal with as a society or or don't deal with (laughs) well that's what's fascinating about this chapter she's talking about all these things that we have just kind of accepted as a way of life now but they're not and they don't have to be yeah But the most important part of this chapter to me is after she talks about that, she talks, she says, um, well, I have to read the part before too. So since such imperfections have generally been accepted without question, very few of my lost children have tried to find perfection by coming to realize that I have already given to each and every one a mind that knows all things and has all power and a life force which cannot age since it is the essence of eternal youth. Here comes the important part. I have struggled with this. Instead of reaching this point of realization, some of my children think I have thrown them into the searing earthly experiences so they can learn to face troubles and live with them. Some think it is my way of punishing them for past sins. Others think the reason for it all is that I am attempting to form perfect beings by slow trial and error method, shaping a little here, rounding a little there, filing off somewhere else, a process which is supposed to go on for thousands of lifetimes while each is being honed down to the essence I want. Still others believe that I am testing to see if they are worthy to inherit heaven after death. If found unworthy, the belief goes, Satan will inherit the soul and it will be tormented forever in a lake of fire and brimstone. Now, yeah, 
a lot of people think that way, including me. What? How many times do I say if I stub my toe or something, I'm being punished for something? I mean, it's so absurd. But wait, it gets better. So... <laughs> All of these stories are products of the surface mind, misinterpretations of my word. And I preach this next part all the time, and I'm not living it. Jesus came to earth to set men free from such beliefs, to let my children know that as they think in their hearts, so are they. Mic drop. (laughs) I preach that all the time. When Jesus came, there was all kinds of weird stuff going on and the the lawmakers at the time with weird laws and and horrible relationships with God or lack thereof. And Jesus was like, y'all are nuts. Like, that's not how this is supposed to be. Here's how you have a relationship with God. And anyway, mm-hmm. that part, um, that was I really very, spoke to you. Yes. Thank you. I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew you so were going to love this book. I know, but people think that. You know, oh, well, we're here and we're supposed to be being punished. And if we're being punished, it's because it's God's will or, you know, mm-hmm. this or that. Well, no. Yeah, she says that this this creation of the surface mind is a web of collective forces, except that is the way life is. But Jesus said that you, as you think in your heart, so you are. <laughs> Just as you were going, reading. <laughs> Yeah, I know I kind of read that whole section, but it was so important to hear it in her words. Yeah. So she says that the heart's like a reservoir that determines the quality of our actions and reactions. And that if we empty that heart out and let it be filled with eternal truth, that's when real transformation occurs. And I think she's talking about transformation inwardly. But of course, if everyone did that, we would transform the world outwardly as well. Yes. And then she starts again getting into this. I, I like the nitty gritty of this book. It almost, like I said, it almost reads like a instruction manual. She says the heart is a, like a powerful dynamo turning thoughts and emotions into manifested form, which is what we talked about uh, in chapter one. She says it the heart works on an automatic basis. So whatever you put in there, it's going to transform into reality. Uh I'm assuming like the more feeling you get it, probably the the more feeling you give it, the more uh, powerful that process becomes. Yes. And she says. That's why I float around like a happy space alien half the time. <laughs> oh, life is so good. But do you, so I'm just curious. Yeah, I am not that way, as you know. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> do you try to do that or is that just your nature? Um, like, is it like work for you? Because it doesn't seem like work. It just seems like that's how you are. No, I mean, I think if you practice it enough, it becomes not work. I think, I do think, I mean, obviously I grew up reading the Bible and that helped a lot, but I do think the secret really helped me to solidify how to, how to do that, how to keep my thoughts more positive and keep my feelings with them. But yeah, I do think there's probably just a, some kind of genetic component or something that (laughs) makes me like that. Well, and a lot of it is gratitude too. And you know, my thing, I'm like insanely grateful for all the little things in life. Do you know how happy and thankful I am in the shower every morning when I get in and we have hot water and yeah, Huh? Really? Oh my God. Yes. I told my coworkers, I'm like, I'm so thankful for our hot water. Oh wow. No, that's, that's a thing. And like, 
that's why when I, I do something minor and I'm like, praise me. And you're like, oh my God, all you did was clean the toilet. I'm supposed to be <laughs> like excited about that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> be excited for all the things. I think some of that is just personality. Like I can't be you and you can't be me. Like there's a certain ways that we're wired. Right. Mm-hmm. But it can be changed. I mean, I admire your, your positivity. I really do. And I don't know that, that I can express it the way that you do, but there's definitely something that there, there that I can learn from. So she talks about the heart being a powerful dynamo and that emptying the, uh, the heart or the surface mind. I, I think somehow these concepts are kind of combined. Like she's kind of combining the heart and the mind into one sort of location or concept. So she's saying that you got to empty out the heart or your surface mind so that whatever is in there doesn't go into a uh, created form from this disconnected reality. So you empty out the heart of the surface mind and control the point where your attention is focused so that the subcreation can be erased. And she says that everyone is affected by the web of subcreation until they swing their thoughts and feelings to the positive pole. And I, I made a note about this. Where and, are you? Uh, somewhere in chapter two. I'm just looking at my notes. Okay. Because yeah, I'm just going through my the main points I got. Yeah. So well, I wanted to go back to, this is right after she calls the, the heart a uh, powerful dynamo. Mm-hmm. She also says, uh, this creative endowment of your heart center is not a bizarre flaw in the way I made you. It was my intent that the desires of your heart should always be fulfilled. I like that. That's in the Bible, too. He wants us to be happy. And it's okay. Yeah. Does he want the uh, the serial murderer to be happy? Yes. The serial Even killer. If what he is in his heart is murdering people. Well, no, the serial killer is obviously not in touch with his sub creation. He's all surface. He's disconnected from his heart. Yes. And from. From God. From unity. Yeah. Which would inform those actions to not occur. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. Here's another important part. Because you, if you skipped way ahead to Lazarus, I've got a bunch of uh, highlights before then. Uh, so she's talking about emptying out your surface mind so that you can realize perfection. Um, and I have highlighted, you can experience perfect oneness with me just as readily as you have been experiencing an utter sense of separation from me. He's saying since creativity is a continuous process, you can, you can swing back and forth between those two things. Mm-hmm. You can be connected or not. The secret is to control the point at which your attention is focused. All of my children are gods with creative powers similar to my own. And by controlling the point of conscious focus, the subcreation can be erased just as easily as it was brought about. Oh. Hey, wait a minute. Do you think? The secret, like the book and, and the movie that came out a while ago, do you think that could be inspired by this book? I mean, she she literally just said the secret is controlling your thoughts. I don't well, recall this being in the book, though. 
Like no, I don't think mentioned. she pulled from. There were there were a lot of different books and teachers that inspired The Secret. There was even one, and I bought the book called The Secret of the Ages mm. or something. Okay. I mean, it's not it's not new. I love that it's called The Secret because I don't think it's a secret. I just think that not everybody realizes that they can do it. You know, but look at the the great manifestors that came together to make, I mean, Jack Canfield, you know, and uh, Wayne Dyer. There were, there were, well, Jesus was quoted in the secret. <laughs> um, I interrupted you. What were you saying? Jeez, I don't know. Oh, okay. This is another really important part that I... I highlighted a bunch because this is that same thing that I struggle with. It has never pleased me to have you suffer from the unpleasant experiences created by misthinking, and I have set up no rigid laws that say you must accept the consequences of your mistakes. Instead, I have tried to tell you that I forgive sins instantly. I cancel out the many effects of wrong thinking. I pull you through that door in mind and gather you under the shadow of my protective wing as soon as you stretch out your hand to let me know that you are ready. Love it. And then she <laughs> then she talks about, you know, Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute. And it's like, you know, if that were the case, Jesus would have said, sorry, Mary, you know, you might as well just get let the stones hit you and get it over with. <laughs> if what was the case? If, uh, if, if God had made us to suffer from our unpleasant experiences that were created by misthinking and wow. accepting the consequences of our mistakes, if that were the case, Jesus would have said to Mary, sorry, there's no hope for you. But if, but that's not the case. So what's the actual case? Instead, I have tried to tell you that I forgive sins instantly. I cancel out the many effects of wrong thinking. I pull you through that door in mind and gather you under the shadow of my protective wing as soon as you stretch out your hand to let me know that you are ready. Right, but what does that like paraphrase into one sentence? You don't have to suffer all the time. Just ask God for help. He forgives everything instantly. It's all good. So is what she really is what she really saying there, like the forgiving instantly, is that just changing your thinking, emptying the reservoir of the heart and putting in a more divine thought? Yeah, I mean the paragraph before talks about um controlling where your attention is focused. So yeah, control that, empty out the bad stuff, keep the good stuff in there. Don't keep you know, whipping yourself mentally for the things you do wrong, like I do on a daily basis, um, a minute by minute basis. Um, and yeah, just reach out your hand again, ask for help if you're having trouble. It goes away instantly. Here comes our beagle. <laughs> He's so delicate. Where's my boy? Anyway. So there was a time in my life when I was a lot more in touch with this, uh, the sub mind, sub creation, um, submerged mind. Thank you. Cripes. The submerged mind, um, where I was, I was, um, reading the, I, I set a goal for myself. It was New Testament, of course to read at least two chapters out of the Bible every night as I was falling asleep. Um, 
basically like fall asleep praying. Um, during the day, I was really like constantly or consciously making an effort to stay in touch with God and kind of follow his guidance. Um, I did notice during that time that when upsetting things happened, when people were jerks to me or whatever, it felt a lot easier to deal with. Um, I also got to the point where God would kind of start telling me like who needed prayers. And so I would pray for those people and then say to them, Hey, I felt like, you know, led to pray for you. I hope everything's okay. And people would be like, Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what was going on. You know, like it, mm. it was really cool. It was so cool to have just that constant flow between us, you know, mm. um, that was right before Diane died. <sighs> then of course I was like, thanks God. <laughs> Diana is your sister. Yes. Who died. <laughs> but uh, but I do think that if I hadn't had that, that special relationship going with God at that time, that I'm not sure where I would be now in my spiritual journey. I, I mean, I was mad at God as it was, but I still needed him, you know. I knew... I just, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't built up a good relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really strengthened everything then. So we're wrapping up the end of chapter two here. And one of the thoughts I had was about a statement she had where she says, you want to swing your thoughts and feelings to the positive pole. And that kind of, I was thinking back to the raw material and thinking, well, that doesn't sound like, being in a state of neutrality, which is kind of my understanding of way, uh, where Ra says you eventually want to be, where you're not wanting to be on the positive side and ignoring the darkness. And you're not wanting to be in the darkness and ignoring the light. You kind of want to be in the middle where you're acknowledging that, that both you and your mirrors have both, have all those different qualities, darkness and light. And you accept them all. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this isn't very accurate. But uh, in the next paragraph or sentence somewhere, she says that we are created in God's image and likeness. And that's our destiny to realize this. So maybe maybe what she's referring to by the positive pull is basically um, being in touch with the concept of God's image or likeness, kind of the positive pull encompassing both the light and the darkness. I'm, I'm not sure, but that's that was my takeaway. My takeaway is to aim towards the positive still because of that. And then that one part that uh. you just alluded to, um, the truth is that I created you in my image and likeness, and you are destined to realize this equality in its fullest measure. The missing link in this realization has been the surface mind and its tendency to remain focused in the wrong direction. So it does make it sound like there is a wrong. Well, and the other quote that you said about the positive pole was said, uh, if you don't keep them towards a positive pole, sooner or later, the wages of negative reactions will mean destruction for you, too. <laughs> that seems pretty. Yeah, but how do you. So a lot of people in, in spirituality, they. They go to the positive pole, but they ignore their shadow shadow self. Oh, yeah, that's not how I was taking that. Um, 
I don't think it's about ignoring it. It's just trying to stay, to keep your thoughts focused on a positive way and on God. Yeah, which for me, you know, like I read this as sort of, well, at least in terms of how I apply it, is I try to apply it as sort of the middle path where I'm acknowledging, you know, when I'm angry or feeling rage or, you know, the the less noble parts of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, ultimately, though, what I do then is I try to take everything to my heart and be in a state of acceptance and ultimately love with everything, which I guess is certainly mm-hmm. a positive a positive thing to do. Yeah, you always say you shift your energy. Self-compassion and compassion with others is, a, mm-hmm. I think, helpful. Yeah. Yeah, don't beat yourself up for having the negative thoughts. Acknowledge them. Try to shift them. Anyway, that was just a note that I that I wrote that that was interesting because I'm certainly not like reading this thinking, oh, this is the the truth, you know, like everything here is 100. percent It's just like the raw material or anything else. My goal is to take what resonates with me and and leave the rest, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, chapter three. Oh um, no, we're I got, to, I got oh, more stuff no. in too. All right. Well, we may have to. We may not get through <laughs> chapter three then, actually, which is fine. It's we're not in a hurry. No, we can stop with because uh, we've already been going for over an hour. We can stop after this one, but. We definitely need to, first of all, I, I have to read this one sentence that I highlighted because this is like one of the best descriptions of Earth I've ever heard. <laughs> then you will see me as I am and know at last it never was my will to have you boiling in such a torrid earthly stew pot. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and we can cut that out. Nobody needs to hear that part. But um, this part is just pointing out that um, God didn't make us half-finished, fragile, defenseless. The truth is that I created you in my image and likeness, and you are destined to realize this equality in its fullest measure. And I feel like that's kind of the key to getting more towards a a heaven-on-earth kind of... Excuse me. Feeling. And I definitely have to get to this next sentence because this is straight out of the Bible. The part about standing at the door and knocking. Okay. It's in the secret, too. There's literally a heading called Ask, Seek, Knock. Yeah, so Jesus in the Bible was like, you want something? All you got to do is ask. Ask and the door will be opened. Oh, oh, yes, that's in the Bible. (laughs) The door part is it. Anyway, um, I'll just read this part. I stand at the door of your consciousness, knocking. If you will only turn toward me, emptying yourself out to receive my spirit, I will pour so much light into the reservoir of your heart that it will run over with goodness and mercy all the days of your eternal life. Also, almost a verbatim uh, quote out of the Bible. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Isn't that the end of the 23rd Psalm? Oh, sorry. Uh... And then to the very last sentence, let's see what she's talking about now. So now she's talking about your subconscious being lifted up to its original purity, which, yes, we did start with. I've always believed that. The door in consciousness will be opened. The old order of life will pass away. 
Um, this renovation does not depend on time or place, but solely on your acceptance and application of the truth that you are really created in the image and the likeness of your God. And that kind of ties into the, the timelessness of everything in life. And there's time doesn't exist. You know, it's just as easy to manifest something now as it is in 10 years. Mm hmm. You want to try to get through chapter three? My notes are a little shorter for this chapter, and then we can do maybe get through three more chapters the next time. No, I don't have it in me. I have crazy amounts of stuff. Oh yeah, that's when I had to get into two different colors of highlighting. No, I, <laughs> okay. <nope. laughs> All right. So next uh, podcast, we'll do chapter three of the door. To everything. Of everything. Of everything. <laughs> the Door of Everything by Ruby Nelson. Probably chapters three and four, and then we can do five and six. Okay. Just because so it then took th us. This is going to be several several episodes covering this book, which is fine. There's so much. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, you can find this book at Amazon, of course, and uh, I think it's on other other booksellers offer it. I think I saw it at Barnes & Noble. Perhaps we can put a link on our global meditation website. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll have a link in the podcast for sure. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Drive the traffic. Drive it to the Global Meditation Network. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.